Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of DM Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime, Ben Bumhofer. How are you doing this evening, Ben? And I, I know before I ask that, you're not doing <laughs> the best. Just, That's okay. Just in the, in the tag thing, but... I know it, you're fighting, fighting some sickness. That's okay. That's what notes are for, uh, so that you know it. We can totally go in and be all like, "Oh, yeah, this is just off the cuff and stuff." Even though that totally doesn't make sense, since we do talk before we record. But you know, whatever. You know, the the the, the audience doesn't know, so it's a uh, it's a fun reveal. This is how dedicated you are, though. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not Let's totally dying yet. That's good. Yeah, I mean, once we get to that point, that's when you know I'll be rolling death saves while recording with you, and then you know, then you can call me dedicated. Right now, it's just, oh, I might have to mute to blow my nose. So it's okay. I have the I have spare the dying. So. Okay, well, I appreciate that because I will need it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I'm uh, like overall, I'm doing okay. Uh, how about you though? It's it's been a little while since we've been able to talk. It has. Uh, Christmas Christmas was good. Um, Finally, a large break, really, from a lot of a lot of games and stuff. Uh, lots of business. Actually, played uh, some new board games I got over Christmas uh, with my wife. Marvel Crisis Protocol um, or Marvel Champions. There's another one called Marvel Crisis Protocol that I really kind of want to, but you have to build all the models and paint them. So mm-hmm. that's another project in and of itself. Uh, got Galaxy Trucker, super super fun game oh that sounds cool played that one you kind of like build your ship to start with and then you um go through this phase two where you actually fly it and it has to survive (laughs) different things um so you kind of see how good you built it it's it's a really fun little game that sounds actually really cool i mean uh, like if there's anything about space that i enjoy it's the idea of having to truck through space that's one of the best cowboy bebop episodes Oh my gosh, what a great show. Uh, but but we, uh, we're back. Happy, happy New Year. Happy 2020. Uh, first episode of the new year. And uh, today we are going to talk, uh, or at least start with uh, a talk from our DM perspective on traps. Yes. Traps are really interesting because um, very seldom will they be the main star of the show they're they're usually a very uh supplementary thing or they're used to help tell the story or uh to fill things in for a dungeon or to uh (laughs) take your characters down a peg so they don't have maximum resources all the time Mm -hmm. whenever they go into combat yeah and it's funny because there's a couple different thought processes on traps which you know i find interesting as a player and as a dm um i haven't used a ton so far but uh from what i have used it's it's basically i don't know like i i try to make it to where it makes sense not just have a trap because you know hey trap you know or like they haven't run across anything in a while let's put a trap here just because there should be one um, like in my campaign, there was a, a, a door to a basement that was, you know, very heavily trapped because the antagonist didn't want anybody to get in there. So, you know, makes sense versus, you know, a, a dungeon crawl where there could be any number of traps anywhere because it's a dungeon. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different types of traps, a lot of different ways to create them. So we're going to kind of give you a general trap overview, give you some examples, like, like Ben just said, of some of the traps we've used or some of the ones we've heard of. Um, and if you're looking for more information, there's actually a really nice, uh, like whole big written up explanation on traps in the free D&D 5e rules, which is really handy because they're free. They give you all sorts of information on uh, types of traps, setting difficulty classes, uh, setting damage, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as we go. Um, but first, let's talk about trap types. Um, and in this, in this case, I'm talking about simple traps versus complex traps. So when I, when I talk about simple traps, this is something that is like usually a one and done. It's set to go off. And once it goes off, it's, it's gone. It, it doesn't necessarily reset or anything. It just does its thing and then it's over. These are usually um, a little, little easier to find a lot of times. Uh, they may be a little easier to disarm. They may not do massive amounts of damage uh and they're usually if it happens in combat they're usually one round type things mm -hmm. complex traps on the other hand um are kind of what the the name implies they are going to be uh harder spot harder to disarm may do more damage may have multiple phases may last multiple rounds uh, and potentially do several different things or can be interacted with in several different ways. Yeah, exactly. And the, the thing is, is really you need to determine when you're uh, developing a trap, what exactly you want it to, or the be, I'm trying to think of the best way to do it. Like what kind of either simple or complex trap there's, what do you want to accomplish? Yeah, exactly. Um, so the, the actual, uh, you know, Dungeon Master's handbook and everything has a couple different types. There's a setback, something that's dangerous, and something that's deadly. And it really, you really need to think about this because whenever you have a, a group of players going into a dungeon, anytime any of them take damage, immediately they're going to they're want to rest to get back up to full. So do you want to make it so that it's like, you know, a huge amount of damage so that they really are going to, you know, look for every opportunity? Are you just trying to give them the, like just the tiniest little setback so that, you know, just like peppering away at a little bit of health so that they're not full? And that decision is actually crucial on making it, a, you know, a successful trap or not. Not, you know, if it goes off and actually damages them, but how it's incorporated into the gameplay. At least that's my opinion on it. I, I don't know. I, I'm weird like that, whereas... Uh, some people are, you know, very much into, okay, well, let's throw a trap. If they do hit it, they're punished. If they don't, then yay. Yeah, you don't, you never want to, and, and this is just good in general. You never want to force something, right? Mm -hmm. It's, we, we've talked about this in the past. It's, it's really cool to, to come up with this super neat trap. And if the players somehow get around it, that sucks, but good for them. Exactly. We should, as, as DMs, we should applaud creative thinking to circumvent things we've made. And as we've said before, recycle, reuse, right? Mm -hmm. If 
something doesn't happen and is completely skipped over, that's fine. We can just reuse it again later. It's not, not a huge deal. Exactly. And even more so too, a trap doesn't necessarily need to cause damage. It could do something entirely different. Um, I'm totally stealing this from our friend, Kyle. Uh, he does, uh, um, uh, DM inspiration. It's a small little podcast that makes it sound that came out wrong. It's a small podcast. It's about maybe 10 minutes long, 15 minutes long or something where he kind of talks about different DM ideas on things. And I think his first episode is all about traps. It's actually a really good listen. I highly recommend it. Um, but something that he kind of brought up that I didn't really think about is, you know, a setback trap, you know, something like that works incredibly well if you know you want to have some sort of action happen and instead of having like a poison dart come out that's going to actually just cause damage and be a one and done maybe turn it into like a a, a slide like you know a, a section of the floor drops down and, and separates the party you know cause different sorts of challenging uh things to happen that way and once you kind of look at it differently and change your perspective on what a trap could actually be, it really does open up just a lot of different creativity on what you can do as opposed to, Oh, well this thing just spits fire or, Oh, this just shoots a poison dart or Hey, acid sprays out of this thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's in a lot of ways, that's a, that's a really good point because sometimes you want your traps to damage. Sometimes you want your traps to trap. Mm-hmm put them in, in, in a situation where they have to use creative thinking to get out of it, even if, even if they're not damaged. Um, add a timed element to it, which always makes for really interesting things, whether it be uh, round base or you are crazy and pull out an hourglass, turn it over, and then <laughs> let your players start sweating. Uh, there's, lots of, there's lots of really interesting things you can do with traps. So let's, uh, let's talk about it a little bit. So let's, let's say I want to make a simple trap. What's a simple trap? Um, a simple trap would be the players walk into a cave. They trip over a wire. They didn't see all of a sudden this large log drops from the ceiling, smashes into everybody who's standing within 10 feet of the middle of the cave entrance. Mm Mm-hmm. There that you is, go. That is a simple trap. It's a it's a one and done. The log's just going to be hanging there. Afterwards, it's going to smash into the the people. You roll, you know, two d six bludgeoning damage or something like that. Boom, you're done. Uh, complex trap might be something where the the party's walking along. Uh, they hit a pressure plate. The floor drops out from under them. They fall into a pit. Once inside the pit spikes will then come out of different spots. You might need a deck saving throw to try and avoid spikes that come up from the, from the floor. Then all of a sudden the walls may start moving in to crush you and you have to do something really crazy to keep from, from getting crushed in, in the middle of the walls. That's a complex trap. It's something that has multiple stages, multiple variables, and not necessarily all of them are damage based. Yeah. That uh, last one sounds a bit complex. You know, there's a lot of working pieces to it. Um, I like the old idea of uh, rotating knives, just, you know, constantly going, you know, you have to try to either find a way to stop it, shut it off, or, you know, do a really good dexterity check and, and, you know, dodge everything as you're going through a room or something. Uh, uh, 
statues. That Spitfire is also a good classic one that a lot of people like. In uh, fire, as you know, is just fun. Like overall, you know, things Fire's catch great. fire. It, you can cause a chain reaction with something like that where it, it turns into just a, a small little, you know, trap detail that spits a little bit of fire, but maybe it ignites something which, you know, causes a chain reaction to just destroy the whole room that they're in or something. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, and, and speaking of that, one of the one of the first traps I made in, um, I think it was the second second or third session of, of the campaign I've been doing, it was a, kind of a little mini dungeon underneath this town. And one of the traps was these, these skeleton statues lining the wall. And there was a hidden compartment with a little lever. And depending on which way the lever was flipped, the little saw blades would come out along the floor or higher up more like shoulder height and so the whole idea was to figure out that they the switch was flipped to the floor so the first time they walked through it they got sliced um and they were trying to figure out how are we going to get everybody else over here until they found the switch started looking around flipped it then everyone crawled underneath the blades that were now shoulder height and so uh it ended up being a kind of an interesting uh Slightly more than than simple, uh, but a little more on the the complex trap side, but a way for them to make the trap kind of work for them. Exactly. And on top of that, I think that that's something that's also very important too. If you have a trap, I think you need to have something in there that either disarms it or definitely have the skill check be, you know, of a level where an investigation will let them see the mechanics and, and attempt to, to do that. Um, nobody likes walking into a room with a trap and having no chance whatsoever to, you know, like y- you don't want uh, just damage just because no matter what you always wanted to have player agency involved to the point where, if they're looking for it or if they're trying that there's always a chance that they can find what's going on and stop it. Exactly. And there's, there's several, right, several ways you can do that. You can, as a DM kind of throw hints out that uh, this room might be dangerous or looks dangerous or um, something uh, an NPC says before, before the party walks in or something in the, just personality of whatever the villain they're fighting is to know that, Oh, there might be traps. You can also kind of uh, what I like to call telegraph Mm -hmm. a trap where you put a trap in that's very simple and very low damage that the party will most likely run into if they're not either expecting traps or they're not used to checking for traps that can kind of give them a heads up of, Oh, there's a little bit of damage. Oh, there's traps here. Maybe I need to start looking for these as we progress or be incredibly blatant, have a skeleton up against a wall with an arrow through its head or something just randomly there. That trap might've gone off. Maybe they can find the one that's actually gone off. That's, you know, completely over and done with, but that at least sets the tone that there is more danger up ahead. Yep, exactly. And so a lot of times uh, you'll use one of three, three types of checks for, for traps. Um, you'll, you've got your base perception check where the, uh, someone's looking around 
uh, and just seeing if there's anything out of the ordinary. You have investigation, which is more of a, a lot of people, investigation and perception are very um, similar things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally consider perception as the overall type thing, whereas investigation is I'm looking at something specifically. Yeah. See how it works. And so you can have that investigation checks. If, and then finally, if the trap is magical, then uh, perhaps an arcana check is, is appropriate for, for that as well to either find it or disarm it. Exactly. And I mean, that's one of the fun things too, is that if you have someone who has a high perception, but low investigation, uh, they could find something that's going on, but never figure out how to actually, you know, disarm the trap or think they did, but maybe set it off. And, uh, you know, the dwarf in the corner is going to get hit by a boulder or something yeah. just because or they can work together and one person might be able to spot it. Well, and then point it out mm-hmm. to a party member who can disarm it. Exactly. And this makes it uh, even much more fun if you do have someone who is, you know, versed in Arcana or something. Like if you're going up inside like a a wizard tower or something like that, um, it's nice to be able to have someone who is able to identify it's like, oh, that glyph over there, that's kind of weird. You know, let's kind of try and see what we can determine what that is or, um, you know, maybe some sort of uh, mechanical device that's enchanted in some way. So, you know, you have a lot of at your disposal for, you know, just various different things that you can, can use to make traps and stuff. So the next step is really trying to decide what fits either thematically or, you know, just environmentally for your, you know, dungeon or house or lockbox or whatever you're trying to do. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because a lot of times when I'm making a dungeon or making, um, some sort of house that's trapped that they're entering or building or something like that. My, my first kind of thought is, okay, um, why do, why does a trap exist here? Um, and would it have been triggered already by somebody already coming? Right. And so that's, um, that's a really good first step to kind of, like Ben said, designing a thematic environment story because Chances are in a dungeon, if there's something that's one and done, it would have been set off Mm -hmm. long ago. The skeleton with the arrow in it, right? There's not unlimited arrows in the, and maybe there is, is. but chances are there's not unlimited arrows in the little arrow fire that killed Mr. Um, Low level adventurer and stuck him to the wall. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you may, come along some and find some of those things that have been set off already. This party doesn't have to worry about them. Another party found them or you have traps that reset in some way through a mechanism or magical means. And those will make more sense thematically that they're still in the dungeon. They're still active. Exactly. There's nothing that says that you can't have a random Chester Copperpot somewhere in the dungeon that uh, your your adventurers could be super excited that they're getting further than he is. So, you know, definitely the way to do it, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, like I said, the uh, even just the basic rules, um, but the, the DM's guide has some as well, have some great um, guidelines 
uh, would be a good word, I guess, guidelines for setting traps, setting the damage for traps, setting the difficulty class for traps, um, whether the difficulty class for avoiding or taking half damage for some, for finding them or, and for disarming them. So if you're, if you're kind of wondering how do I set that up, what damage is appropriate for, for what levels, the, the free rules, Dungeon Master's Guide, all have really good charts and tables as well as some kind of example traps for you that will help you figure that kind of thing out. Exactly. Because all of them are different. Yeah. And, you know, having a chart, just a kind of a, a small idea of, uh, oh, shoot, I was doing way too much damage for this, you know, level two party. I guess I shouldn't be doing 4d10, you know, <laughs> something along those lines. If, if you're just trying to stop them from entering a room or something. Um, it, one thing to keep in mind. On, oof. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but one thing to keep in mind is, that especially if you're homebrewing stuff, um, just because you're home brewing doesn't mean that you can't borrow from other places. So, you know, the DM guide has, like you said, tons of different examples. That's really great. Um, if you have any of the modules, you know, take a look in there. Sometimes there's some really unique traps or anything like that. And then also the, I'm sure the DMs guild has a ton of different stuff that's been thrown on there and uh, that you can use. So just, uh, you know, be creative with it and, you know, see what you can figure out. So Ben, what are some examples of, of traps you've made for your game? Oh man. I, uh, <laughs> mostly, I, I don't know. I, I'm a big pressure plate fan. Like I love the idea of, you know, someone either stepping, uh, on a plate, it, it clicks shifts and either like fires a dart or activates, uh, you know, like a flame spout or something like that. Um, and I, I've, not done a whole ton of traps in this campaign yet because there hasn't been reason to. So that's mostly what I've done. And of course it was great because uh, I had a cleric who went in and, you know, set off the first one, found the next one, thought he disarmed it and then set off the next one. And that was a lot of fun. It's, it's always fun for, uh, just for thematic reasons. When someone goes in, they, you find the trap and they're like, I would like to, to try and, disarm this with my thieves tools okay cool you're proficient. <laughs> exactly you're proficient in thieves tools so you know go ahead and roll uh dexterity check and add your proficiency modifier right and so they do it and then you're like you think you've disarmed it click <laughs> <laughs> you did not actually uh you were wrong those are those are always fun moments. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a fan of that. I always do a, a sleight of hand uh, roll, and then if they're proficient in that, but they're also proficient in thieves tools, then they get that extra bonus on top of that. So uh, I, I'm usually happy when the rogue decides to go in. And, oh, I'll, I'll disarm it. Okay, go for it. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then of course, what's really fun is, is if they're being chased or something, just rearming the trap once they're in. You know use it to your advantage. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing, nothing that says traps have to always be necessarily bad things. Uh, it could be that your party members run into them are hurt by them. And if it's a resetting trap, they then use that knowledge to trip up somebody else, uh, a villain, a, an enemy in the dungeon. And that's, uh, type of stuff should be rewarded by you as a dungeon master um, just as creative thank you exactly 
Yeah. Um, what sort of traps do you usually use? Or is there just a kind of a hodgepodge of uh, masterful trapness that you've done? <laughs> it's, it's definitely a hodgepodge. Uh, I, I kind of gave the example of that one earlier. Um, I've definitely used a, a pressure plate pit drop. That's Ooh. the old classic um, that they had to figure out how to get out of. Um, one, of the, one of the coolest, I guess, quote unquote traps uh, that I ran, I ran with uh, my gauntlet that I did mm-hmm. that was multi-stage and multi-tier. And in this case, traps were more environmental hazards. And they're not, while not being quite the same, they share a lot of similarity in the way that you make them. They're, they, they, you call them environmental hazards, but in, in a lot of ways, they are traps. Uh, in the, the the pure sense of the word. So one of the things I did during phase three of the gauntlet, uh, they were on this big open field, this kind of slightly rounded field. Mm-hmm. There were these four statues um, and I took out an hourglass and I turned it over. And every time that hourglass ran out, one of the statues uh, to start with, at least one of the statues covered one quarter of the field in fire just for, just for a round. So, and then it, it's over. It did a certain amount of fire damage. Oh. And then they learned it rotated. So when the glass ran out again and I turned it over, the next quarter section went off, then the next one, then the next one. And so they had thought they had that figured out. Then after I turned it over again, half the field went off. And then the other half of the field went off and then I turned it over when I, when it ran out again, the entire field lit up, turned it over again, the entire field lit up and the damage increased. And so <laughs> it became, it became very much a, uh, to, to borrow a wow term, a soft enrage timer, right? Yeah. Eventually this extra damage is going to overwhelm you. And so you're on a time limit essentially. And so that one worked out really, really well. Um, I had another environmental one where it was just uh, a bunch of floating rocks in the arena. And so there was some spatial stuff involved as they fought flying enemies and had to do athletics checks to jump between rocks and that were floating above, uh, above the arena, which was really cool. Um, just, Several different things like that. I had a, uh, a puzzle trap. And these are really interesting too, where you can provide a puzzle, but if you get it wrong, something bad happens. Or uh, in my case, I had this puzzle and you had three tries to get it right or these skeletons would wake up. Ooh. And it was denoted by these three flames hovering in the air and each time you got it wrong, one of the flames disappeared. And so they kind of caught on that, oh, okay, if we get this wrong and we one of the flames disappeared, it looks like we've only got two more chances left to, yeah. to get this right or something is going to happen. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, at least in some ways, telegraphing things, um, either through story or just through uh, you can – now kind of assume that you're on a timer or you have X number of tries to get this right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You know, and that's something that I like as well, because again, it, it communicates what needs to be done. The trap won't come out of just some random surprise. Uh, you know, I look at it kind of like a, a souls game or something. It's like, okay, I walk into the door and I have no chance to see out of my periphery that something's going to, you know, drop an ax on me. It's like, that's not as much fun as having like a, Oh, you know, like paranoia of there's something up ahead. I need to really pay attention and try to find this thing and turn it off. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. That's, uh, that's our trap advice guys. Uh, let us know some of the cool traps that you've designed so that we can take them and use them for our own games. Definitely. Cause like I said, I haven't done a lot of traps yet. So send them on over. <laughs> he is, he is very much ready to put his players in harm's way. E, kind of. Yep. They don't know it's what's okay. up ahead. They don't know. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> we, all, we all do it. It's just a thing. Um, so kind of shifting gears a little bit, speaking of our players, our second topic for um, the night is backstories. Uh, player backstories, but not just your normal everyday backstories, but developing backstories with your DM to integrate your character into the world. Exactly. Now we did touch on backstories a bit in episode two. So uh, we might repeat some of that stuff, but we're definitely jumping in deeper into this to kind of give more of an idea of, you know, what you can do, especially if you're working with your DM. Now, one of the, the great things about backstories is that if, you know, you're a very creative person, if you're someone who, you know, when you do a backstory, you write 14 pages of lore and everything, this gives you a chance to help like, create the world that's that's taking place um, i know a lot of people who you know are dms really enjoy getting in depth in a backstory and being able to contribute in some form uh to you know kind of either aid in the story or at least flesh out the world a little bit because we understand that it's a lot of work to actually create a a, a full homebrew you know situation so any little bit that we can get totally is welcome unless it's you know some something that's like very thematically off and then that's a different type of conversation. Exactly. And so the, the biggest, uh, the biggest deal when you're developing your backstory is first working with your DM to see how they want to develop their world. Um, it's, it can be very different developing a backstory for say a written adventure uh, is quite different than developing a backstory for say a completely homebrewed world in an adventure. When you're developing a backstory, you have, you have more of a box, I guess, uh, around what specifically, uh, things you can put in your backstory or things that have happened or locations that you have to pick from. Whereas a homebrew world opens that box up, usually a lot more to where uh, it's, it's much more flexible thing. So just to, to kind of give an example. So say you're running uh, an adventure module uh, like my, the minds of, of uh, man, it's Fandelier, right? Mm-hmm. Fandelier. Um, I always in my head say it wrong. Uh, so you're, you're running that starter adventure, right? You're going to be a lot more limited on your character backstory because the adventure itself 
is much more limited in nature. Whereas if your DM is uh, creating their own homebrew world, you can, you, you probably will have a lot wider range of options on background, where you're starting, uh, who you're involved with, is there political factions, is there families, is there all this type of stuff that you can get involved in. And so this is kind of where working with your DM turns out, uh, turns out really good because you can go to them and say, okay, I want to create a backstory for my character. And they, they say, okay, awesome. Here's uh, a bunch of information about the world. Here's a, a bunch of information about political factions, about uh, locations. Um, and so then that may be enough or the DM may say, okay, uh, here's the air general areas. Make up some stuff. And that will become canon. Exactly. And it's one of the neat things too, is uh, depending on, you know, like which stock backstory you go to, there's a bunch of different options for, you know, just creating more and stuff. Um, Like just from a very simple, Hey, I'm doing this. Guess what? Your person is probably, you know, talk to at least one other person somewhere in their entire life. So it could be something just as minor as, Hey, there's, you know, a friend I grew up with. You know, who knows what town it could be in, you know, get that from your DM or maybe create it yourself or something. Um, Compare that to something much more in depth for some of these backstories. Like, uh, like if you go with the charlatan, uh, there's a whole false identity that you get to create. And based on that, it's like, okay, you're creating this false identity. You can talk about where they're from, what they've done and everything like that, as well as your own backstory for yourself you know, on why they have this false identity. You know, it, it's just something simple like that. I mean, is, is the stuff in your false identity also going to be completely false and just made up cities or whatever? Yeah, you could do that. But a- any sort of thing that uh, you're creating in that sense, like just talking to your DM about it and working together just adds a lot to your knowledge of the world as well as fleshes it out for everybody else. Exactly. And just to kind of give uh, some examples of uh, some, some of the stuff my players have done. Uh, when I started my campaign, I basically took my players and I handed them a map I made and said, here you go. You can use this as reference. Um, most of them uh, were fairly new to D&D at the time. So they kind of picked locations that, that already existed. Like mm-hmm. uh, this person was lived on a farm near the mountains um, and uh, their backstory was their, their family was, was killed by giants. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I, I like that. There are now giants in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was, was like, uh, I am a cleric of uh, this specific city. And here's some stuff with the, the backstory. There's the corrupt church and whatever. And I was like, that is great. I can, I can work that in. Uh, and so from that, all of a sudden this religious hierarchy was created inside one of these towns, uh, or, uh, a player who joined my game later wrote a big backstory up of, uh, their monastic ways, how they had been in this wandering tribe and they had gotten into a fight and were found by this specific person and taken to, to this uh, specific monastery 
um, and these things happened. And then there was this uh, evil caster that was attacking this town and left them with uh, scars as they tried to, to stop them. And so as a DM, none of that information was specifically directed at places, but then I can take that information and go, that's cool. That's a really good story. Okay. Monastery, this, this monastery you told me about, this is now here in this location. And then those people you talked about, these are now NPCs that I can use as the story permits. Exactly. I've got uh, some, some good examples too. Uh, I have a, an entertainer who she's, you know, traveling has been traveled for a very long time, like offended someone, but gave me the, the whole idea of like, you know, her birth, where she went and traveled. And she's from like really far away from where the, the story is taking place right now. So it's worked out really well because it's given me a lot of time to kind of, you know, have an idea and kind of grow the world based on her path. Um, also what's absolutely fantastic is I have a noble, my cleric, um, and he, you know, came up with an idea of, of uh, a country of, of his nobility and some of the, the neighboring towns and stuff from the, the capital of that country. So I, I have an entire country based entirely off of what he gave me. And I'm like, great, here's a big chunk of the map that I don't need to worry about filling in because it's already done. Um, I've got names, I've got, you know, kind of ideas of, of locations of things, but now I get to fill in the rest and, and pop that in there. Uh, he gave me a whole family structure to work with. Building. Exactly. Wonderful. Um, so, you know, when we get to the point where they come into play, I have people and, and uh, names that he will recognize because, you know, he helps bring it to life. And I'm just incredibly excited about uh, when we're finally able to get to some of that stuff. Yeah, that's, that's really, really cool. Um, how that kind of stuff works out. And it's, that's just uh, like some of uh, some of the games I play in, uh, whether it be the module where I can give this less of like location specifically and more personality traits. Whereas I I'm going to go deeper on my character without necessarily going specific on he's from this specific place and he's been to these specific places and stuff like that, which don't matter as much. Um, this can also be a, if I, I should preface this, if you're comfortable enough improving as a DM, this is also a, a great uh, area where you can bring in the homebrew rule. I know a guy. Oh, and we yeah. may have we may have touched on this uh, a little bit before, but if if you don't remember or um, if we didn't go into detail, essentially this homebrew rule allows a character within reason um, at a location to to say, "I know a guy," and from that, that person then describes in general this person that they know. And then the DM can then roll and figure out what kind of reaction that person will have to the player character. And this allows for some really interesting, fun role-play interactions. And it also can create potentially very memorable NPCs because, again, the collaborative world-building piece 
but you have to feel comfortable as a DM for improving this kind of thing before you could implement those kind of rules. Exactly. I mean, you, you can't exactly pull off a, uh, a Lando Calrissian just off the fly if you're not comfortable with it. But I love the idea of that. And it gives the world, you know, a little bit of a smaller feel too, especially if you're in a region where, you know, your adventurers have been, you know, kind of going around for a while. And depending on the background, it, it can totally work and make sense if you do know a guy. You know, again, like the nobles, they interact with a lot of people. Um, one of the, the really fun backgrounds that's out there is a criminal spy. You know, there's a whole spy network that could be out there that, you know, you could tap into or something along those lines. Um, you might not be able to get away with it if you do something along the lines of like, I don't know, the hermit background, if you've been mostly alone your whole life. But again, at the same time, though, you're still probably coming into town buying goods and everything and, uh, you know, having some sort of interaction with people before you just up and leave again unless you are truly just a, you know, wild person living in the wilderness by yourself. Yeah. But, and this, this type of thing really can help uh, increase the immersion of, of your world because ideally your, your world is not a bubble. Things happen. People know people. And most likely your players had, your player characters had some sort of a life before they started adventuring together. Mm-hmm. And so things like this or potentially even uh, things where you one-on-one develop characters in a specific region or town uh, with the player alone can, can really help as well. So, and, and it really adds that cool factor in a lot of ways uh, from an immersion standpoint with the rest of your party when you go into a town and you go into the inn and all of a sudden one of the players is just like, hey, Frederick, long time no see. And the DM then smiles coyly and says, I haven't seen you in a while. What are you up to, you piece of crap? And then start and then hits him. And then you're just like, what is going on? And so uh, there, there's cool things like that that you can work out with specific players if the the opportunity fits the backstory and the location exactly in fact there are times where i'm a little sad that uh i created my my uh whole campaign just based off of a one shot but i mean i've got this this incredible you know cool story that i that everybody's enjoying so far but once that ties up we're going to start exploring the world and, and delving into some backstories and everything. And I'm really looking forward to, you know, coming to some of these places and, you know, meeting some of these people that, you know, the, the, the players themselves have kind of come up with. And as a DM, that's exciting to me because not only does it like bring the players into the storytelling aspect, which, you know, I'll, I've said time and time again, that D and D is a cooperative storytelling game. Um, it, it just adds a lot more interaction and flavor for them as well as like introducing those characters to the other players who have no idea that they exist in the first place. One of the, one of the biggest things as a DM, especially when you enter into this uh, collaborative storytelling, if you really, uh, if you really take the time to integrate the characters into the world and their backstories into the world is uh, it, it's a, it's a, delicate balance to make sure that you are able to 
give the same level of attention to all the players because and it's 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 hard it can be very hard to to walk that line of balance because at some points one character's backstory may have be having a much bigger effect or is much more front and center than other people's backstories and that's fine that's going to that's going to naturally happen every once in a while but at the same time as that type of stuff is happening you need to try and make sure that you're giving adequate attention to the rest of your players and the rest of the backstory. Uh, Cause there will certainly be times um, I know I'm, I'm kind of dealing with that now. I've got, I mean, I've got six players, so it's, it's a balancing act. It, it really is where one person's story may be across the continent and you're just like, how, I, I, that that's not going to be front and center for me right now. But at the same time, as a DM, you can still throw them tidbits. You can throw them hints. You can throw them uh, their own little scenes. Uh, one of the big th- biggest things I've been doing with uh, two of the players whose stories, uh, a lot of their backstories are kind of further away is uh, dream sequences for, for my cleric. Uh, because of the the things that have been happening and interaction with his deity through that way. Uh, my ranger warlock um, interactions with his patron and things that are, that are going on and then mixing in uh, spoilers soon. I'm going to be mixing in enemies, enemy types that he has a specific grudge against, even though it's not the specific ones that he had a grudge against. And so just being able to kind of mix that in and try and give equal weight to the players, even if it's not all at the same time is an important aspect to remember. Exactly. And here's another thing too, is that especially if they, they have living family members and things like that, um, stories spread. So if your adventurers are starting to make a name for themselves, you know, if they're, they're getting up in levels and everything word of who they are might spread to some distant places. So, you know, they, they could, uh, in fact, I, I plan on having, you know, contact from, you know, for certain people from family members, like arriving in specific spots to where they think it might show up. You know, um, the scry spell is something that you can always use your, you know, whenever you want, you can have someone who has access to it, who's trying to find the location of where your players are, whether to, you know, send a message or, 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 you know, something else. Um, you know, this is a world with magic. Incorporate that into something to try to to make the world a little bit smaller and connect with everything that is going on as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot there's a lot of things you can do, and so the the, the big trick is don't let it overwhelm you. Um, one of the biggest things it just keep detailed notes. As a, as a player and as a DM, yes. as a player, keep notes on the things that have happened that are specific to you and your story, especially as that kind of stuff may come up again. But as a DM, keep notes. Uh, what, what I have personally, I have a little uh, Google Doc for each of my players. And anytime a story-specific thing happens to that player, I make notes of it inside their the specific Google Doc and what session it happened in and just kind of a summary of what happened so that helps me keep straight 
how their character progression is going. That is a very good idea. And I definitely highly recommend that, you know, have a, uh, have a source document for the different players and you can keep track what you're doing, what you're trying to incorporate and everything like that. That's, that's a really great idea. Well, I think that about wraps up our backstory discussion. Hopefully uh, you got some good information as we dove a little deeper than we did before into working with your players and creating those really interesting backstories. Um, Exactly. Ben, you have a community content shout out for us. Uh, It's nice and quick, but it'll save you money. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but we've talked about D and D beyond before. We are definitely not sponsored by them. But uh, it's a website that, you know, I've made all my characters on. I I constantly use it for everything. I I think I actually own everything in the marketplace at this point. Um, But here's the thing. If you don't, they're having an amazing sale going on right now. Uh, it, it, It helps, you know, keep your campaigns kind of together. It gives you access to a lot of different tools, characters, races, spells, everything like that. Highly recommended if, if you can. But uh, right now they have a Happy New Year and, and uh, as they say, and welcome to the Rolling Twenties. Um, so if you use the, and it's all one word, I think it's all capital. If you use uh, legend, Legendary Thanks, you get $150 off of the Legendary Bundle. Uh, if you use Sourcebook Thanks, you get $75 off the Sourcebook Bundle. And if you use Book Thanks, you get $5 off a digital book. So I really recommend it. It's a good if deal. You, yeah, if you plan on doing that. Like 150 off the legendary bundle is insane. That's like knocking like what 40% off or something like that. It that's a great deal. And of course, if you have some of those books already, it it pulls that amount out of the total as well. So yeah, really good stuff. Highly recommend it. Awesome. Thank you, Ben. Um, but and before we go as we always do, uh, let's take a few minutes to kind of talk about what's going on in our own games. Uh, I know that Christmas happened, uh, busyness happened. Um, ben, what have you been up to D&D wise? What are you planning? Uh, have you had any s- sessions since the last time we talked? Well, okay. So here's the fun thing. Um, I got really busy with work over December, so I didn't really get to. Um, although I don't think I talked about it on the show. Uh, did I talk about the really awesome prize that I got? I don't think I did. Um, so at, at a local comic so. book store, or not comic book store, at a local gaming store here on uh, Black Friday, like that whole weekend, they had a thing where if you buy $25, you get just an envelope that uh, you come back and open sometime after December 9th. So I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. I need to get some figures anyway. So I went got a couple of figures, got this envelope, you know, came back a, a few weeks later, walked into the store. They opened up the envelope because that, that was the, the, the whole trick is they had to be the ones to open it. So I had it sealed like sitting by my computer for a couple of weeks. And then inside was a $100 gift card for the store. So I went crazy and bought a ton of different figurines. I have a cart in, in like all the whole campsite set that has a cart, two horses and a bunch of campsite stuff. Um, I picked up some really cool, just uh, like, like town things like a statue, a well, different things. I've got some monsters. So I have a lot to uh, paint and well, even more so because I have a whole crap ton of stuff that has no paint on it whatsoever. 
but um, I'm looking forward to bringing some color into my miniature game when we're playing. So excited about that. Uh, other than that, we were supposed to play yesterday, but uh, as we said at the top of the show, I'm starting to come down with something and I ended up sleeping most of the day. So we didn't end up playing. Oh, that is rough. Yeah. How about you though? Uh, were you able to get together? So I've, I've had some, some really interesting things and it's, it's funny you mentioned painting cause I, I was really sad. I didn't get a whole lot of uh, painting time over the holidays. Um, I'm actually going to paint a little bit after we wrap up recording, which will oh, be okay. fun. Get, a, get back, get back on the train. And it's hilarious now because um, since I started painting stuff, my players automatically assume that anything I've painted is super important, <laughs> which is really funny because that's sometimes true, but not necessarily at all. Um, so, <laughs> so it's, <laughs> so I, I sometimes try if I know I'm going to do a specific monster or something to, to get it painted, but before the session happens. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's, I, it's, I just found it really funny that they, have started getting along the lines. Oh crap, it's painted. The others aren't painted. That means that one is the important one. It's just like, Oh crap. Well, maybe kind of, I have a feeling that's probably going to be happening too. When I started throwing in some paint, (laughs) I know because it's just like my painting backlog is so much larger then I will have time to deal with for yeah. probably several years to come. So it's at, just at this point, I'm probably sitting on, yeah, I'm probably sitting on like 150 to 200 pieces to paint. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are really big. Yeah. So it'll, it's, it's just one of those things, you know, it's, it's just going to have to be, be that way. Um, but I was actually going to have a session yesterday as well. And it snowed here. Oh no. Uh, snow and ice. So that didn't happen because the roads were unsafe, but miraculously, and this never happens. We, we were texting around to try and find a makeup date and it turns out absolutely every person and myself were free this coming Saturday night. Mm-hmm. How that worked. I don't know. It was meant to be. Uh, so we're going to have uh, a pretty crazy session uh, this coming, this coming Saturday night, as the party fresh off of a side quest gone horribly, horribly wrong, uh, <laughs> goes to collect the reward, and this uh, pretty bad organization finally has come out into the open and is legitimately attacking the city. Oh wow! Uh, and they are currently standing in front of a dwarven workshop and the dwarven workshop has unfortunately been taken over and they're gonna have to fight some really fun things that are gonna come out of that dwarven workshop so i'm really excited we're gonna start off the next session with a bang and then hopefully have a have some downtime where the players can finally uh get some character stuff off their chest that has been building for, for the last few sessions. Well, good. Yeah. I'm, I am really looking forward to uh, our next session because uh, they just got into an orc infested town. And I'm very curious to see how they're going to handle that. It's always interesting because there's always, it's not everything has to be handled by pure combat. Exactly. And that's one of the neat things is that I, you know, I have 
a thing story-wise on why it's infested the way that it is. We'll see if they go that way. We'll see if they, they handle it head on. We'll see which way they go. And like, regardless of what happens, it's going to be a good time. So hopefully next episode of DN discussions, there'll be some really fun stories or I will have killed my party. <laughs> I really hope that I won't have killed mine. <laughs> same, same. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I've, I've been getting pretty decent at combat balancing and we, we kind of, there's actually a whole episode on that. Uh, but now that I've moved to six players, it's kind of thrown that off a little bit. So <laughs> I'm kind of relearning a little bit. Uh, it turns out that the higher level your, your characters, your, your players get, the, the more ridiculous things they can handle that oh, yeah. you don't think they should be able to handle. Yeah, and on top of that, um, it's also really tricky when they get more magical items. Who'd have thought? Yep, and throws, throws <laughs> everything off. Uh, but my players, my players are level eight now. Oh, very cool. So this is, this is the, the second highest level campaign I've quote unquote played in. Um, I, I had one campaign that lasted long enough for me to get a wizard to level 10. Ooh, that's tricky. Other than like one shots, that's the highest long-term campaign I've gotten to. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's actually, going to be a topic of discussion sometime here soon um, where we talk about high level play a little bit because it is something that is often overlooked and it is something that many campaigns don't make it to either due to timing falling apart um, the extra work on the dm that a high level campaign is which it definitely is oh yeah and so we we're getting we're not quite there, but we're getting close to the cusp. Once you hit that level 10, 11 points, the, the dynamic starts to shift. You start getting these pretty interesting, powerful spells, uh, and then it just kind of scales from there. So it'll, I, I'm, I'm, I, I guess the, the dream of everyone is your campaign lasts to 20, right? That's, that's what I'm hoping. That's the goal. That's the dream. Uh, it can take quite a long time to do it, especially when you're playing Especially once a month, month. <laughs> yeah. yeah but but we're getting there we're getting there so uh i'm i'm excited to see what what the characters do especially in this combat with their newfound level eightness all right well good luck to them and good luck to you my good man you as well uh, and hopefully we'll have some really interesting stories here for the next episode but yeah. until then ben why don't you tell everyone where they can find us and where they can send us cool stuff. Well, uh, the best place to find us actually is going to be on Twitter. We are at DN discussions. Uh, you can tweet us there. We love to hear from you. And uh, also we'd love to talk about D and D when we have the time, which, you know, we do when we can. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or want to tell us about some of the traps that you've done, make sure to send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Because again, we love hearing from you. In fact, we've got a bunch of uh, emails banked. We should probably do a uh, mailbag episode soon. Um, but uh, keep sending those in because we love hearing from you. We love hearing your stories and they're pretty good. Like fun yeah, stuff. There's some really interesting stuff. We will definitely have a mailbag episode really soon where we, we go through a lot of those. So if you have questions, if you have stories um, that we can, we can chat about, please send them in. 
exactly. And if for some reason this is the first episode that you've ever listened to, you can check out every other episode we've done on dndiscussions.com as well as on Google and iTunes and probably Spotify and you know all those other places because everybody picks it up from there. So, yeah. Um, but other than that, Ryan, where can people find you if they're looking for you? You can find me on Twitter at TBKZord. Uh, and if you want to chat gaming or D&D, all the above, uh, anything tabletop, I always love to get into discussions. And if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ben Bumhofer. Uh, completely open to talk about whatever. And uh, just if I don't answer right away, I'm probably at work. But uh, thank you, everybody, very much for listening to uh, this episode of DN Discussions. Until next time, make sure to be good to each other. Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs>